Welcome to Mortals, a podcast where we explore how humans have managed their dead throughout history. From barrows and burials to cremations and kurgans, we are taking a look at rites, rituals, and practices from around the world. Mortals podcast is for the morbidly curious or the curiously morbid. Today we are going to be talking about Mount Everest. Yep, that's the topic. Please be aware that this episode contains mention of loss of limbs, natural disaster, and of course, death. Now let's get on with the show! Alright gang, first off... Welcome to Mortals, if you're listening. Janine, Mariah, welcome to Mortals. Thank you. The podcast you it's helped It's so nice host. to be here. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's, I'm so glad to be invited back each time that we do this. We did not replace Mariah with someone else. No, at no point. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad that we started this episode off with some banter. Because, first off, I just want to state for the record that I absolutely fucking hate this topic with every bone <laughs> in my body. <laughs> um, it makes me angry. You should have shunted this off onto one of us. <laughs> well, I know a lot about uh, it already, so I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, I can just whip this one out. But yeah, it makes me angry. Not it makes it me sad. Knowing that it to the heights of despair. Yeah. Uh, hey. <laughs> Started with the puns already. It's, we're going to get a bingo going one of these days, and it's going to be Mariah interrupts things, and Mariah makes bad puns that make her, that makes Christina want to punch her. <laughs> no. <laughs> so unlike most of the episodes that I host, um, I'm not going to be discussing the ancient world, nor will I be discussing archaeology in any way, shape, or form. <gasps> Shocking. Yeah, no. For those of you who didn't read the episode title, um, I'm going to be discussing Mount Everest. For the casual listener, it might seem a little bit odd to hear a death podcast discussing a mountain, but there is far more to this episode than meets the eye. Or the ear. Or the ear. (laughs) (laughs) But definitely Uh, the eye if you're following us on Instagram or Twitter, which you should definitely do. Always be plugging. But for now, the ear. (laughs) Um, so, uh, this entire topic is something that I kind of stumbled upon one night because I have this bad habit of looking into real life tragedies and serial killers when I am feeling low. And I fell down a rabbit hole one night when I stumbled across a post from a blog that I have long since forgotten and began to learn about the bodies on Mount Everest. So just for some context, in case you guys didn't know. Mount Everest is a mountain in the Himalayan mountain range. No way. And <laughs> I know, right? And is the tallest mountain above sea level in the world. It stands at roughly 8,849 meters tall, or about 29,031 feet. And once you get past a certain point, the air becomes very thin. Remember this fun fact for later. Mount Everest is located along the border of the Tibet Autonomous Region of China and Nepal. And among the base of Mount Everest, there are several ethnic groups that live in and around this mountainous region. 
including the one that we will be mentioning fairly often today, which is the Sherpa people. So the word Sherpa has kind of become synonymous with becoming a guide that specifically takes you up Mount Everest, regardless of if the person taking you up Mount Everest is actually Sherpa, or if they're from somewhere else. But in reality, there is a specific ethnic group called the Sherpa people. I did not know that. I was going to say, isn't Sherpa the the job title? Nor did I. Pardon no. my ignorance. I hadn't actually, I think I'd read about it a little bit a while ago, but yeah, so Sherpa isn't a job title and it's kind of racist if you refer to it that way. So the Sherpa people are regarded as elite mountaineers with lots of experience and they know the lay of the mountain, Mount Everest, better than anyone because not only do they live around that mountain range, but guides have been taking people up for decades and as a result they will make the climb several times as they take different clients up over the course of their careers. The Sherpa people are among several ethnic groups around the world that are actually better suited to living at high altitudes. People who live closer to sea level, who like move to high altitudes to live there permanently, can actually get really sick, and women can suffer miscarriages and that sort of thing because the air is so thin. So if one of the three of us were to go up, we would probably get really sick and not be able to stay up there for super long. But for people who live at high altitudes for generations, it can actually alter your genetic structure a little bit so that they can survive at these altitudes and thrive. Like an evolutionary adaptation among exactly. ethnic populations. Exactly, yeah. Cool. Yeah, like epigenetics or whatever it's called. Where I'm not sure. Generational, you trigger different like tags in your genetics to do different things so that you pass on traits a little faster than general evolution. Something like I'm that, no, yeah. I'm no scientist. That sounds right, but if you really want to know more about it, check your facts. Dear listener, Google it. It's a podcast about death, not about how people live. (laughs) Isn't it kind of both? It is kind of both. I take that back. That's completely not true. Death is what makes us mortal. Heyo. So Mount Everest has its place in their religion and spirituality in many of the surrounding cultures, and it's seen as sacred by many of these groups. In Nepal, Mount Everest is known as Sagarmatha, meaning forehead in the sky, and the Tibetan name for Everest is Kamalangma, or Holy Mother. It is believed that Miyalangsangma, who was a Tibetan Buddhist goddess, lived at the top of Chamalangma, or Mount Everest. So that is kind of the, you know, a very, very, very brief kind of summary (laughs) of a very complex, or several very complex, you know, belief systems surrounding the uh, mountain. I just kind of wanted to address that this mountain is seen as sacred to many of the ethnic groups in the area. Um, There is a lot more to dive into there, but that's kind of not the focus of this episode. So I'm going to go back to the physical mountain itself for a moment, because due to it being the highest mountain in the world, Everest has attracted many climbers over the years. People who want to have that feather in their cap, I climb the biggest mountain in the world, the ones who conquered the biggest thing, and so over the century or so, people primarily from the West have traveled to Mount Everest and made their attempt to try and conquer the tallest peak in the world. If you want to climb up Mount Everest, there are two routes that you can take. There is the South Coal, which is the more common one taken, and there is the North Coal. And for those that don't know, because I didn't, a coal, C-O-L, 
is the lowest point on a mountain range between two peaks. Today, there are a few places where you stop along the way to the summit of Mount Everest on your climb. There is the base camp, which is at about 5,300 meters or 17,600 feet, after which you face the first major obstacle, which is the Kumbu Icefall. There is then camp one, two, three, and four before you reach the summit. Uh, after camp four is where you begin to enter the death zone, which is a term used to describe the area where the air gets super, super thin uh, on a mountain and you are most likely to suffer from altitude sickness and the trek becomes most dangerous. So when you reach this area, people generally have to rely on oxygen canisters, although some people do make the climb without it. It is also so cold at this height that any exposed skin can suffer from frostbite, not to mention that most people have trouble sleeping, and sometimes your digestive system just stops in an effort to save energy. If there is any sudden change in weather, you can be pushed off balance and take a deadly fall, or you can become encumbered with snow and get stuck. Even slight injuries can become fatal if they impede your movement, because if you can't make it down the mountain yourself, it is almost impossible for other people to help you, and a helicopter coming up to fetch you is very, very risky. And people being abandoned by their parties is, unfortunately, not uncommon. Is the, the helicopter thing because the air is so thin? I don't have a solid answer for that. <laughs> okay, I, I read a book once, like a first-hand account of a climb of Mount Everest, and I think that's the reason, um, is because the air is so thin up there. Not mm -hmm. only is it thin for humans to breathe, but it's thin for things like helicopter blades to actually sustain upward movement. Interesting. Uh, I think. I think that like the, one of the I main hope. things is weather, but it wouldn't surprise me. Like People have made it to the summit, in helicopters before but like it's very very risky and like un unfortunately you know people going up in helicopters to save people is super super uncommon you can also experience something called a retinal hemorrhage that can damage your eyesight and potentially cause you blindness i read that up to a quarter of climbers on mount everest actually experience this though it usually heals afterwards and only in rare cases have people been actually blinded and speaking of people being abandoned, at one point there was a man who did become blind and they had to leave him behind. That's Why does he insist on going to places that are inhospitable to human life? <laughs> I don't know, man. Space, top of mountains, bottom of the ocean. We just I gotta, gotta know. know. I get the What's down there? The, What's the up there? Curiosity killed the cat. What's out there? Satisfaction brought more people for some reason. <laughs> So TLDR with this last little bit is when you climb Mount Everest, you are risking your life and it is a very difficult trek and it has claimed the lives of some very, very experienced climbers. Um, there's a saying that's been going around the internet recently and it's something along the lines of there was a lot of very hopeful and ambitious people that are now corpses on Mount Everest. So maybe like tame your expectations a little bit, you know, that's a good one. <laughs> It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a good way to, to be like, calm your tits. Yeah. <laughs> the death zone on Mount Everest is interestingly also referred to as Rainbow Valley. Does anybody want to guess why? Hmm. This is, I'm just throwing things out there. Does it have something to do with uh, high altitudes and ice crystals in the air and rainbows? It does not. Okay. I'm 
My guess is that it has to do with the colors of the suits that folks who die up there are wearing and are left and unretrievable. Mariah is the winner of this ding, unfortunate ding, ding. quiz. Congratulations. <laughs> yes, Rainbow I, Valley. Thank you. <laughs> Rainbow <laughs> Valley is where the majority of people die on Everest due to the aforementioned weather, lack of oxygen, frostbite, etc., etc., etc. And so through this area, you can see the colorful parkas and backpacks and supplies of people who have fallen in their attempt to ascend, or more likely, interestingly, to descend from the summit of Mount Everest. There are corpses that now act as landmarks for the route up to the summit of Mount Everest. If you were to climb and take the north route, which is the one that's less often taken, there is a landmark referred to as Green Boots, which is the frozen corpse of a man whose true identity people think they've narrowed down, but they're not entirely sure. But yeah. You have to pass by green boots at some point if you take the north route. So to put things into perspective, over 300 people have died attempting the climb of Mount Everest, and that's just documented, and over 200 bodies remain on the mountain. Wow. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, why is nobody taking these bodies down? Well, the conditions in the death zone are unsurprisingly very harsh, and even if you know, somebody is alive and injured, it's a very long trek. And you're essentially having to support somebody else and all of their luggage and all of their supplies. And it's even worse when it's a frozen corpse. So yeah, they probably froze semi to the mountain as well, given the conditions. Interestingly, they were on a uh, very dry piece of rock. A couple of the bodies have been moved, so I don't think that they've frozen to the mountain, um, which I will come back to. Interesting. But uh, because they are frozen, these bodies and the equipment that they're carrying is very well preserved. One last thing just kind of about, you know, bodies and like bringing them down is that even when people are like very slightly injured, even if like you sprain an ankle or something or, you know, the guy that went blind... People are even having issues, like, it's not just the weight of the body that's, like, preventing people from bringing them down. Like, the conditions up there suck. Like, you're in the death zone. You're in between Camp 4 and the summit. There's not a lot of oxygen. And if you have to lug somebody behind you, even if they're alive, you know, that's still kind of really, really difficult because, you know, you're having to work extra hard. Like you're already climbing up or down a mountain, right? Mm -hmm. And now you're having to support another human being and, you know, however much supplies that they brought with them. Mm -hmm. So literal dead weight. Yes. Yeah. And on a very challenging climb, right? It's, there's a reason that they need an extremely advanced and skilled guide to Mm -hmm. get up and down. And I think I forgot to mention this, but it takes almost two months to climb up Mount Everest. This isn't like a weekend trip. Yeah. You got to dedicate. It shocked me. Yeah. So like if you, that's part of the reason too, is like, I don't think it's that, from what I was able to tell, like, I don't think it's actually that difficult of a climb. It's not like it's straight up or anything. Like it's, it's difficult, but it's the conditions that make it so deadly, right? Mm -hmm. It's the harsh conditions over that period of time that just kind of take their toll on people. And interestingly, it's when most people actually die after they've reached the summit and are coming down, which is especially interesting. 
And just kind of as an aside to this is people have died trying to go and retrieve bodies. People have died trying to go and save other people. And I'm going to give you some examples of that very shortly. So who are these people that are mainly climbing Mount Everest? Well, um, it actually costs tens of thousands of dollars to climb Mount Everest, anywhere between like thirty-five and a hundred thousand dollars. Holy moly! Yeah. I'll never take Not- another local hike for granted. Yeah, <laughs> far more likely to survive a local hike, but true. But it also wouldn't cost me anything to do. True. So- oh. If you're gonna die, you're gonna die for free. So. That's <laughs> In this economy, that's all we can ask for. (laughs) So you've got a lot of wealthy people who, I guess, have something to prove to themselves. But the people who climb the mountain the most are actually the Sherpa people. And I will come back to them in a little bit. But I do just want to mention that they are the people who definitely climb the mountain the most. So we have, of course, the infamous Green Boots, who I think is kind of the most famous corpse I think of when it comes to referring to the bodies of Mount Everest. But there are a few corpses that have been given specific monikers. For example, there is Sleeping Beauty, who refers to Francis Arsentiev, who died coming down the mountain and was in plain view to climbers for a number of years. She was given the Sleeping Beauty name due to the fact that she didn't actually appear dead, but instead just kind of appeared to be sleeping with a content look on her face. Her husband, Sergi, had gone back to try to rescue her after she was unable to continue the descent. Um, They'd gotten separated, but unfortunately he went missing and was found a year later, and it's believed that he fell while looking for his wife and died. Yikes. Oh no! (laughs) Yeah. Frances is no longer visible to climbers, as one of the members of her party returned with the intent to try and retrieve her and Green Boots. Ian Waddell was his name, but he was unable to get her down the mountain, so he essentially just tried to drop her to one lower side of the face so that, you know, at least she wouldn't be visible to everybody walking by. Try and give her some sort of dignity and death. Mm-hmm. There's another woman, Hannelore Schmatz, who earned the moniker the German woman, and she was the first woman to die on the mountain. I want to read a quote from something that I found here about her that I think might tell us why her remains kind of became a little bit iconic amongst mountaineers and became deserving of a moniker. Lay it on me. It's not far now. I can't escape the sinister guard. Approximately 100 meters above Camp 4, she sits, leaning against her pack, as if taking a short break. A woman with her eyes wide open and her hair waving in each gust of wind. It's the corpse of Hannelore Schmatz, the wife of the leader of a 1979 German expedition. She summited, but died descending, yet it feels as if she follows me with her eyes as I pass by. Her presence reminds me that we are here on the conditions of the mountain. I read that and it was like, oh, Chills. that's that's why she's got a name. Uh, this excerpt comes from uh, Lene Gamelgard, who was a mountaineer who was one of the survivors of the 1996 Mount Everest avalanche that killed eight people. Uh, she wrote fuck. a book titled Climbing High, A Woman's Account of Surviving the Everest Tragedy. But she quotes another climber, a man named Arne Nace Jr., who gave us that chilling description of the German woman. Jesus. It just kind of gives you a picture of 
the the real confrontation with mortality that I think a lot of these climbers are finding on the way up and not just the the pushing of the limits of human possibility. Mm-hmm. Right? This is probably the first time a lot of these people have ever come across a corpse. Yeah. Let alone multiple mm-hmm. that they are looking for as landmarks. Mm-hmm. This woman uh, is, I guess, also, you can't see her anymore. as She's kind of believed to have been swept off the side of the mountain that she was on. So she's tumbled further down. Again, at the mercy of the mountain. Mm-hmm. But uh, I said this before, but there are, like, there's so much to cover with this topic. Like, this could be, like, a two-hour special just going over every avalanche and every tragedy and the you know, the David Sharp situation and all of these different things that I'm only going to get to, you know, a percent of them. Or one tragedy that happened that I do want to bring up happened in 2014 because there was an avalanche and 16 Sherpa people died. And as a result, there was actually a strike where the Sherpa climbing guides actually striked. Being a climbing guide pays really well for these people. In Nepal, it is a very lucrative job, but it is obviously very dangerous. And many of the Sherpa guides have sustained long-term medical issues due to frostbite, missing fingers, and altitude sickness. The sort of injuries that come with hiking and mountaineering. I mean, they're well-paid for a reason. Mm -hmm. Well, they're well-paid within the economy of Nepal, but from outside looking in, they're not paid very well. But a lot of the Sherpa guides are getting fed up with people coming to Everest as more and more inexperienced climbers are coming. And these people are not only putting themselves at risk, but are also risking their guides as well. Just as like a fun fact, one of the guides um, whose name I can't remember at this exact moment, he made his 25th climb up Mount Everest and he keeps beating his own world record. So it just kind of goes to show you that, you know, the people that live there and make their living off the mountain are the ones who are going up and kind of risking themselves most often. Jesus Christ. Another day in the life, eh? Going to climb Everest again. Yeah. Again. Yeah. The worst commute. Yes. (laughs) I keep putting things in context, but I'm going to do it again. The last years without known deaths on the mountain were, get this... 1977, and any other guesses on what other year it was? 2020. Because I don't know if you guys know this, there was a pandemic in 2020, and, you know, people weren't traveling as much, and they actually, so you need a permit to climb Mount Everest, and they suspended those, so people weren't really flocking to Mount Everest to climb it. But yeah, 1977 and 2020 were the only years... In the last, like, I think it's like 50, 100, whatever. That's over 40 years that every year someone dies. And if you're curious, it is currently October 2021. And despite the COVID pandemic still raging in Nepal and Tibet and all around the world, Canada, where we are, people have begun to start climbing Mount Everest again. And two people so far have died in 2021. I mean, isn't climbing season, though, pretty early? It is in the spring, so Mm -hmm. they did die, I think it was back in May, at least that was the news article that I was reading was dated to May. But yeah, back in the spring sometime, two people died. It was uh, 
a Swede and an American. I wonder how much climate change is going to affect the uh, climbability of mountains like Everest. I don't, I, I think it will certainly, you know, as things start heating up even more and more. But there is actually another side effect of climate change and, you know, just the climate heating up with Mount Everest that I will get to. Everest is covered in litter. And I'm not just talking about the human corpses that are scattered across it. But there is quite literally tons of trash and human waste frozen to the side of that mountain that's just kind of stuck there. Oxygen canisters, abandoned tents, food containers, human waste, among other camp supplies and bottles and things that have just been left behind. So in 2019, the Nepali government launched a campaign to clear a bunch of trash off the mountain. And they started an initiative in 2014 where anyone visiting Mount Everest has to pay a $4,000 deposit. And if you come back and you return with uh, eight, eight kilograms or 18 pounds of trash, which is about the average amount that a single person produces during their climb, they get their $4,000 back. But if you don't, tough shit. Good for them. Um, but there is uh, a concern with this that because of the pollution on the mountain, that as the ice begins to melt and thaw, there is a concern that all of the pollution that has been gathering on the mountain will begin to affect the watershed and everyone who lives off of the watershed, you know, further down the mountain and in that range. So there's a lot to kind of consider there. Yikes. Yeah, especially yeah. with the presence of, of human waste and human corpses, uh, both of which mm-hmm. can have some serious effects on uh, water. Yeah. Again, I tried to trim the fat a little bit on Mount Everest as there is a lot to talk about with this, but I just kind of wanted to cover some of the main points about the bodies of Mount Everest and just the fact that people keep going even though they're inexperienced, they don't can't necessarily make the climb and they're going and they're dying. Even even experienced mountaineers are going up and are unable to make it because, you know, it can be something as simple as there's a change in the weather and, you know, you slip and break your ankle and you can't walk. Mm-hmm. I mean, something as simple as that or there's avalanches, there's blizzards. It's a. It seems very much like one of those situations while, you know, most people get off the mountain fine, but you walk by a reminder once you get up to past camp four of what could go wrong if you're not like super careful and even if you are careful you know mother nature is just gonna do its thing and lucky yeah nature is true neutral it does not give a fuck yes absolutely none i'm kind of reminded of um on the opposite end undersea scuba divers who do the caves and Mm. quite often people will die in like super tight underwater caverns and just places that humans should not go and require a lot of equipment and training and oxygen tanks to get to uh, very unfortunate mm-hmm. uh, final resting places yeah space deep ocean the tops of mountains i like how whenever kinda, we do we... an episode we come up with another episode <laughs> 
Well, it's funny, too, because you were like, oh, yeah, 1977. This is the year where nobody died there. And I'm like, that's the year of the last execution. So someone was dying by that's another the... unlikely means. <laughs> that's the year Star Wars came out. <laughs> <laughs> so now, now you, listener, have three fun facts about the year 1977. <laughs> is this just the 1977 podcast? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what else? Maybe uh, we should just focus on, uh, like, zero in on 1977. What else? What else what other kind of weird year? deaths happened that year? Hi. Grovey. <laughs> yeah, Is that the sixties? I think that's sixties. That sounded very Austin Powers to me. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. My decades aren't that shagadelic, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think that one of the things that immediately came to mind when you were talking about, well, they just leave. The bodies, right? You you have to leave the bodies is kind of the moral dilemma as a climber that you'd come upon. I mean, depending on your culture, a lot of human cultures, we want to honor or give the body of someone who's died dignity in some way um, after they've died. And so mm-hmm. if you're climbing this mountain and you come across a dead body or someone in your climbing party happens to die a lot of people's initial inclination, I imagine, let's take the body down, let's do something to, you know, give them this dignity. But when you're on Everest, you're quite literally, if you choose to do that, you are quite literally putting yourself in mortal danger, more mortal danger than you are already in. So Mm -hmm. at that point, like morality is kind of flying out the window and it's, it's every person for themselves. So like, like how do you, how do you navigate that? Like, how do you, how do you, how, how do you make that moral decision to just save yourself? And does that, in my mind, that signifies something to me that I wouldn't even make the choice to climb Everest because I don't think I could handle that moral quandary of leaving someone mm-hmm. behind. Right. Yeah. Um, no, and, you know, like all of these stories that I've been reading about Everest, I'm like, I don't know how you could come back from this. And at times, you know, some people have had to quite literally climb over corpses to get up Everest. Like, yeah, great job. You climbed a fucking mountain. Mm-hmm. But at what cost, you know? Yeah, ego <clears throat> over your humanity, essentially. Um, there is something that you said that I kind of want to touch on, though, because just as far as dignity of bodies that are you know having to be left and i should have mentioned this earlier but people try and find ways to give these human remains dignity even if they can't necessarily do it in a way that is traditional so for example you know with sleeping beauty at the very least people weren't going to be staring at her like her her body just laid out on the side of a mountain you can unfortunately i'm not encouraging this but if you see a picture of Sleeping Beauty before she was moved, Francis was her name. She is literally just like lying out in the open. So, you know, I can understand the desire to, at the very least, give her some cover, like bury her, even even just like moving some rocks or something. But this guy, Ian Woolard, all that he could really do was essentially push her over the edge of a cliff face to try and get her out of the sight of, you know, other people climbing up the mountain. And that's, I think, almost as much for her as it is for the people that are climbing. Something else that people have done 
is they've put people have climbed up and put flags over these people. So that at the very least, you know, they're kind of covered, buried in a kind of symbolic sense. So that you can see some of the rainbows in, or some of the colors in the Rainbow Valley are American or Canadian flags. So people have had to adapt how they deal with grief on the mountain and how they deal with the presence of human remains. Yeah. Because, you know, there's no other way to really deal with them aside from getting them out of sight, whether it's pushing them off a cliff or covering them in a flag and some sort of symbolic burial. Yeah, the, the flags are kind of like a mountain unique grave marker in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I had the very crass thought of how many courses would you climb over to summit Mount Everest? Throw back to our Klondike episode about humans going to places where humans can't survive very well for glory and gold, but I was going to say, I feel like people can survive in the Trondek just fine. <laughs> Comparatively. You know, the, the local First yeah. Nations have, but this is the Klondike. You're looking for a new life for yourself. If you're climbing up the mountain, you're climbing up the mountain to say that you climb the mountain. I, get, yeah. I think, I guess I have less pity for the people on Mount Everest. Well, it's, oh, a, it's, a, it's a situation that they have chosen to put themselves in mm-hmm. for no other reason than to say that they have accomplished something. And some people want to do that. And if there is money to be made by the Sherpa people or other people who guide up the mountain, then all the power to them and all the power to them to strike if they decide to strike. But I, yeah, I don't know how, how do you prioritize your own ego over your humanity, I guess, is my perspective on it. And Mm -hmm. that is my perspective. Other people may have other perspectives that don't align with that but that is at the very basis how i see things so i know i will mm-hmm. not be climbing mount everest in my lifetime i have no desire to do so yep uh, i don't want to litter on the mountain just because i won't survive if i bring them down if you can't survive on the mountain because you have to bring your trash down then you shouldn't be going up there mm-hmm. get a plan for follow-through yeah, it's a bit of a wild topic, though, eh? You know, we kind of covered it all. We got some, talked about litter, talked about the human ego, talked about the morality of having to leave people behind. I hate this Even topic. <laughs> Slightly injured. I, <laughs> I will say to any listeners, um, if you haven't, I mean, I'm sure there's many books out there on this topic. There's a lot of people who have climbed Mount Everest, and there's a lot of people who have written about climbing Mount Everest. But So many people. So, the, so, so many people. The one that I have read, and that's the reason I'm recommending this, I'm not saying, I'm not an expert in Everest literature and picking one over the other. I'm just saying because I've read it and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, you should read Into Thin Air by John Krakauer, who is a journalist who was given the assignment to cover climbing Mount Everest. And as they were climbing, the party hit some pretty nasty weather and there was fatalities. So it's kind of an account of that. And John Krakauer, obviously he makes it down the mountain because he survives to write the book, but it's quite a detailed look into 
the journey of climbing Everest. And I think this was in the nineties mm-hmm. that his journey was it 1996. Happened? I think by so. Chance? 96 was a bad year. Wasn't that it? was, yeah, I think it had, uh, well, ironically, like eight people died, I think in the avalanche mm-hmm. or in the, was it a blizzard or an avalanche? There was um, a blizzard. Yeah. Yeah. But it was still somehow like, it, you know, a lot of people died in that one incident, but it was still like a low year for fatalities, like over the decade or something, like, which is, it's just awful. It's like, yeah, there was like a mass fatality event, but, it, you know, it's still better than most years at Mount Everest. The the book that I mentioned earlier by, and the quote is a, another person's account from that same event. So a lot of, a lot of writing came out of the 1996 Everest disaster. I was just going to say the mass casualties probably contributed to the lower numbers because people probably were like, I'm going to either delay or I'm going to cancel my trip because eight people just died in one fell sloop. Swoop. Yeah. Not sloop. That's swoop. that's true. So it's probably some amount of uh, highs to lows that mm-hmm. evened out to make it a, a lower number year. But John Krakauer is an amazing writer. I've read his other book about the kid who went to Alaska and I'm no journalist, I can't speak to journalistic integrity, but he's an excellent writer. The Krakauer book, there's actually one of the guys that was on the expedition with him. His name is Beck Weathers, and he was left for dead, and he actually survived. But oh, wow. He lost, I think he lost his nose um, and probably oh, some fingers oh and stuff, too. A lot of people lose fingers and limbs because, like, anything above that death zone level you know it is so cold anything that is exposed is going to succumb to frostbite and like hypothermia so yeah yeah he was any other closing thoughts on big yikes mount everest sorry janine no 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 no, it's fine it's fine um yeah i again i don't ever want to climb everest um i mean all the power to you if you do want to but don't make yourself a burn it uh don't litter Mm -hmm. I don't be a, a body that comes loose when the when the glaciers melt. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> interestingly, there are there are actually other mountains that have a higher death rate. Like, so they say like about three hundred people have died on Mount Everest, right? And there's about two hundred corpses up there, roughly. But I guess yeah, there's other there's other mountains out there that are even more deadly. So if you're gonna do a mountaineering trip, maybe check out. Uh, Make sure you know your conditions is the good thing. Mm-hmm. Isn't um, in so- sort of the same range, isn't there one called K2 that's also pretty challenging? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, but everybody knows Everest because it's, th- yeah. it's the name, so. Yeah, because I think the Himalayans have the four tallest mountains. I might be wrong. There might be one that's like somewhere else, but it has, there's a lot of really big mountains there. <laughs> That are uh, comparable to Everest as far as difficulty, I think. Not as difficult because it's higher, obviously, but... I believe there's a board game based off of K2. That Maybe that's much more uh, accessible for people than actually going to climb it. (laughs) (laughs) $20 for a board game as opposed to, you know... $35,000 to climb a mountain. (laughs) At minimum. potentially die. I'll take the board Um, game. mm Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sticking with me through this episode of this topic that I hate. I am now sad and mad and angry and sad. 
because a lot of people died and they didn't have to. And they died in very tragic and kind of heartbreaking ways. But look at your conditions if you're going to go mountaineering. Please don't climb Mount Everest. Or if you do, pick up a body on your way out. And uh, stay safe out there, mortals. Goodbye. See ya. Bye-bye. Mortals Podcast is created, hosted, and edited by three morbidly curious individuals, Christia, Mariah, and Janine. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast Mortals, on Tumblr at Mortals Podcast, and on Instagram at Mortals underscore podcast. Our music is A Mermaid's Eulogy by Etienne Roussel. Thanks for listening, mortals. Take care of yourselves out there. get slight throwbacks to my teacher discovering that Canadians don't pronounce T's in a lot of things, such as in mount and mountain or curtain. Mountain. They'll say mountain, mountain. or curtain. Curtain. Toronto. Yeah. Toronto. We don't use the T, really. <laughs> no T. Only if it's at the beginning. Who needs that other T?